Because anger is so toxic to productivity. Like the more time you spend mad and wanting revenge, that will actually, that's like a criminal mind. Okay, guys, welcome to Bloom X Podcast. Um, today, we have a great shout out to mention. Um, shout out to MCRO for becoming a continuing sponsor for the, for the podcast. So this episode and future episodes is going to be brought to you by MCRO, who enables businesses to grow through handcrafted digital solutions of the future. MCRO is a web and mobile app development studio with a competent, dedicated, and experienced team focused on solving business challenges through fast-to-market and producing high-performance digital products. If you're looking to turn your destructive ideas into reality or have a reliable strategic tech partner to explore options with, uh, for your existing work or for new work, reach out to us and we'll make the introduction for MCRO and you can have the conversation over a coffee or a bone shaker IPA, your choice. Welcome to the podcast, Emily, <laughs> from Cons and Kernels. Yep. Perfect. I mean, this is a story I definitely had to bring you on and talk about. Thank you. Um, so we ran into a, a pop-up shop you had at... Um, Chin Chin Restaurant, it was a client we were meeting at the time, Yeah. right, to talk about uh, a different thing we're doing, but you had a little pop-up shop and you're you're pretty much selling these bags of popcorn, which is delicious, by the way, <laughs> right, Thanks. I'm super addicted already, <laughs> and um, you had an amazing story that's tied to this. Yes. And hint, hint, it's because it's called Cons and Kernels. That's right. So, bring up your website here. Popcorn's so good it's criminal. What's, what's the story here? What's going on? Well, you know, just like any regular human being, I went through like a difficult period in my life. Okay. My parents got separated. Um, but unlike a lot of people, I turned to, well, maybe not, but I turned to like excessive alcohol and drug use when this happened. Oh, no. Yeah. And like I went to University of Guelph. I graduated with honors and I always binge drank. Like, so I didn't really see it as being a problem because I always managed to get good grades. But then when things went wrong in my family, I like was drinking every day. And so how old are you this time? I was 26. 26, yeah. But like when you, like I grew up in a great household, you know, my, my parents didn't drink, which is another reason why I think their help didn't really work was because they didn't understand. Yeah. They're like, why are you drinking? Like we raised you this to be this way and this way. And I'm like, oh, I just like can't. Sorry, I'm just going to move this. Oh, yes. Um, but I knew I always had like a good heart and, yeah. but I also felt guilty about telling them about my drinking problem and drug problem because yeah. they didn't understand. So I felt worse. Like I, I was like pretty much shamed about it when I told them. Okay. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to do my best here. But I was really, really struggling. And in 2013, when I was, I'd, I'd launched a company in Liberty Village in Toronto, social media company. And so this was like a micro agency. Okay. So I wasn't like, oh my God, I want to be in every city. I was like, I really like working in Liberty Village. I've got a great base of clients and I do well for myself. And that I liked staying small. I really did. Like, I didn't like the stress of like trying to scale or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And through my work, I actually met someone who had a, a business and he's like, oh, I want you to help me grow this company. And I'm like, okay, sure. Like, what do you need my help with? And so I actually went and met him at his place of work. Mm -hmm. And he's like completely like nice, completely normal. We ended up developing like a kind of romantic relationship, not like a fully romantic relationship, but just like flirty, like just friends. And he's like, you know what? Like, I understand you're going through a really tough time right now. Why don't we like just go on a trip and maybe we'll help you take off your mind off some things. Okay. Um, and this, then he came over to my apartment 
that afternoon and he was like, there was something else I wanted to tell you. And I was like, what's that? He's like, on this trip, you don't have to pay anything, but I just need to bring some drugs back. So just come and be like my girl, you know, like you can go down to the pool. You don't have to do anything, I swear. And I was like, absolutely not. This is the, this is the middle of the day. Absolutely not. And then so he's like, he felt embarrassed and he left. Later that night, he's like, you know what? I feel so stupid. I can't believe I even asked you that. How, like, I feel like such a jerk. And I was like, okay, yeah, it was a little bit weird, you know, because, like, I love my passport. And he's like, forgot I even said anything about that. Like, let's, let me just take you on this trip. Like, I just, like, adore you and just forget about everything I said. And I'd been out that night. Like, I went out and this, I got home at 2.30 in the morning. And, you know, at this point, I trusted him. And I was yeah. also drunk, like a big idiot. And so I, he's like, okay, just send me your passport information sent it off to him little did mm -hmm. i know it wasn't just him that information was going to yeah and so immediately these tickets are booked and we leave two two days later going to saint lucia and when we got to the airport he like switched the name of the place that we were going to like he told me via text he told me um in person that we were going to puerto rico so like i told all my family and friends i was like okay i'm going to puerto rico go to the airport and we're going somewhere completely different and then he, like, blamed it on my drinking. And it, this was when I started to see, like, his demeanor kind of change. And I was like, listen, listen, pal. The reason that I do cocaine is that I can be alert and listen. And that's what it helps me do. So don't be telling me that I was blackout drunk and I completely got it wrong. And it's kind of obnoxious, but, like, it's true. That's kind of why I did it. And he's like, no, no, it's definitely just a drink I told you this whole time. I was like, okay, something's really weird here. But I was already at the airport. So you know, hoping for the best and kind of trusting him at this point because I'd known him for six to eight months and he'd never acted weird. He's He'd always been, like, very kind, like, not like, uh, not like the player type at all. Like, he'd, like, just had a really good aura about him until kind of this point. So I just trust him, got on the plane. Thir the third day in, like, the first couple days are fine. I'm like, okay, hey, this is great. Completely trust you. And then third day in, he's like, um... Okay, in 20 minutes, you're getting in the car. Our friends are picking us up, and you're coming with me. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And then he's like, well, did you really think that this is just all fun and games? Oh, my God. And I was, like, sitting there, like, in my beach outfit and a little bit of shock because – not a little bit, like, a lot of shock. But also, I still had that trust, and I think at this point, I realized that I'd made a number of dumb decisions that had landed me there, but I still thought I was reasonably safe if I just did what he wanted me to do. And once his friends picked us up, we go to this house and it's like a big drug den and there's like bricks and bricks and bricks of drugs on the walls, like cocaine, like, you know, and like bricks of cocaine. Yeah. Yeah. Like stacks of them, like piled high. Okay. And this lady, she comes up to me and she's like, thank you so much for doing this. And I was like, what do you mean? And that's when he told me he had actually sent my passport information to these drug people and I told them that not just him, but also I would be dr bringing drugs back with me. Anyway, long story short, the rest of the week is just like a complete write-off for me. I'm like mad. I don't really know how serious – like I know it's bad, but like I still don't think for some reason I'm going to have to do it when we leave. I thought I could weasel my way out. And I was like, I really don't want to do this. I'm not going to be good at this. Listen, I've never done this before. I failed acting school, so what does that tell you? Yeah. Like this is not going to go over well. And I guess he thought because I drank so much – that I could hide it better because, you know, sometimes when you drink, you do it to hide a, a way that you're feeling as usual. And on the last day, though, I was completely sober and I was nervous as hell. They pick us up. These drug people give me these spanks, which are like customly, they're custom 
my, my size basically like tailored to yeah. fit me yeah. and then I put there's one brick of cocaine like wrapped in the special tape and then put into the front and then there's one also put in the back and so it's like super heavy and awkward and then I have to get on the plane with this thing wearing this like really long dress over top of it this is a nightmare and we get on the plane and I'm just like not really talking to him and I'm gonna do my best because I know like at this point I'm like legit in the international drug traffic like I'm in the drug trade right now yeah. like whether I've been trafficked trafficked as a human to do that or I'm like a drug trafficker myself I don't know I don't really know the difference so much later and we get to the airport and immediately called into secondary like I was definitely not hiding it well like but I wasn't about to go sabotage the whole thing because you know that's even more dangerous like I just yep. wanted to get home and got arrested when they asked me all these questions he got arrested too, and that's when my life really changed, and I had to move all my stuff out of Toronto. I had to move back in with my mom, was put on house arrest, and I spent a lot of time being mad and being like, what the heck, and I realized this was like a very, very serious offense. This was not something you could just do community service for. This is not something that someone will just can just take the charges for. It doesn't work like that, And I, but I believed all that when he told me, he told me probably like, would never happen. But then when it did, he's like, if the small chance is that'll happen, like, don't worry. Like, you know, I'll have your back. I never talked to this guy like, ever again. Everything he told me was a lie. So I'm like sitting in the middle of this massive legal case with like a lot of ignorance, anger, and worry, doubt. And I had to spend two and a half years living, like waiting for these, the court proceedings to, to be done. And then I found out I was going to prison and a lot of my friends that are like, you don't want to go to prison. Like, and I was like, yeah, you're right. And girls like me don't go to prison. But that, I didn't have a choice. Like, I knew that the first step into taking responsibility and accountability, which I believe was the right thing to do to, like, try and heal the harm that had caused me and my family. And that was prison time. It's something called a mandatory minimum. And little did I know, you know, when you bring drugs over the border, that's what you're looking at. So... So what was that process like? Um, what were you charged with? Can you talk about that? What was I charged with? Yeah. Um, importing a Schedule 1 offense, Schedule 1 something. Now, did yeah. you get a chance to talk in court about like being pressured into this environment? All that? Yep. How did that go? Yep. I, they, just, they still don't care. They hear that all the time. The law is the law. And they're like, you brought the drugs over the border. Like, there's things called mitigating circumstances. And I had eight of those, which was like my very supportive family, my very supportive network of friends who had written me all these reference letters, the actual job that I had, um, the fact that I demonstrated a commitment to sobriety after, cause I knew like it definitely played a role. And so I forget what the other four were, but yeah, so those all played a role, but regardless, I was still going to prison. And so after I actually met someone who had been to the same prison that I was going to, I knew that it would be an environment where it wouldn't be easy it was, it's not club fed or whatever they call it. It's prison, but there are ways that you can harness your creativity and like harness the good things about the situation and use it to benefit yourself, which is what prison is supposed to actually be about. Yeah. People get confused. They think prison's all about being punitive, but if you actually read the corrections Canada website, it's about rehabilitation. So when people are like, Oh my God, you got to like live in a cottage. I'm like, yeah, I did. Because if I lived in this actual max cell, for 10 months, like there would be no rehabilitation. So yeah. Yeah. So 
what was it like? So you found found like you got rehabilitated, like yeah, like prison. So let's before we talk about let's talk about the actual what do you what happened? Like yeah, the mandatory minimum. How much? How long was that? Four years. Like, four years. Yeah, four years. It could have been five, but my lawyer got it down to four. To four. And have you um, the full term was in a prison cell? The full term was. I'm still on parole right now, so I'm in the my. I'm incarcerated by rules and not, you know, wires and fences. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so I'm just trying to get the timeline here. Right? Mm -hmm. So this event happens, you get you, you, uh, you get charged. It takes two and a half years to the, the pro court process to continue to move forward. Yep. You get charged then for four years. So you serve four years that, uh, after that. Yeah. And the full time was in one particular place. Like which prison were you at? Um, so I was arrested in 2015. Then when my parents had to bail me out of jail, like I couldn't leave until they came and got me. Yeah. And so that's when I was in max. I was in max for three days. Um, and then that's when I lived on house arrest throughout the, you know, the court, like all those meetings. And then when I went to federal prison, because it was over two years, I had to first go to um, like the local prison. It's called, it's called Vanier for 14 days. And that was max. And then I got transferred to the federal institution which was in Kitchener Ontario and that was that all started my sentencing started on January 18th 2018 how was that process like it must have been crazy to like one to go through all that stress but also to figure out all these different things moving parts of where you're going to be sent to mm -hmm. um like how, how was that for you for me it was really challenging living on bail because I I knew that I'd been harmed in a way but I also knew that I had to take responsibility. Like if you don't realize that you've been harmed, that's also a sign of abuse, but you also can't like play the victim forever and ever and ever. Cause like no one wants to hear that. And I knew that my, my drug use and alcohol abuse had played a role in my decision-making because substances fabricate relationships. They fabricate feelings and similarities that you have with people that makes you think you're actually connected to them when you're not. Mm. And that's why we do dumb things when we're in relationships, right? We want to be like that ride or die and, whatever we want. We want to feel needed by them. And we're, we're emotional creatures. We're not rational a lot of the time. Right. Yeah. So. Absolutely. And so were you in a relationship at that time? Like with, uh, with the men who brought you, um, overseas? Yeah. Do you consider yourself dating? Yeah. You were dating. He was very charismatic. Yeah. He was very, yeah. So you, so after this process, after you get arrested, you don't see, hear from him again. No, I have like a no contact order. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that you initiated? Hmm? Or you initiated? The or courts initiated? The courts initiated? Yeah. And then I kept, I maintained it when I got out. Okay. Yeah. Of course. And there's never an issue about like actual drugs, like, because they were, they were seized, obviously. Mm -hmm. Right. There's an organization who's like, hey, we demand this from you or anything like that. Like there hasn't been. No, because um, I also learned a lot about the drug trade when I was in prison. Mm -hmm. And. When what I had was actually a very small amount. So what they'll do is like they'll recruit men to recruit women and get us to go on these trips, whether we know it or not, like the extent of it. And they kind of knew that if I got through, okay, that's great. She got through. But they ultimately knew that I would be a distraction mm -hmm. because I was so bad at it. So I was kind of like a, a sacrificial lamb. And they're like, okay, like let's put all the attention on her. So there's actually professionals on this plane with way more yeah wow yeah so the whole point of that was to get you 
to get all the attention and hopefully even get arrested to draw attention from the actual professionals. Yeah, and sometimes girls will go down and um, like the, the people that sent them will actually call the airport on them if they have a smaller amount. Yeah. So it's not a good line of work. Yeah. Jeez. So like, so the man you took you down obviously got arrested as well. He he was not aware of this either. Yeah. Yeah. So he was just recruited to do this particular activity, and this mm -hmm. happens all the time. You think? Yep. And there's also like the obvious warning signs of me and there's a, a lot a lot of things that I did upon arrival to the airport mm -hmm. that indicated something was up. Mm -hmm. um, for example, like the fact that he booked the tickets for the all-inclusive like two days before, they can see. So like flight companies and like the CBSA, the border service, like they they can see that. They see that's shady and they actually, tra they've been tracking him for a while too. So. So during the court case, you found out all this? Um... Yeah, a lot of it. A lot of it. My lawyer told me. I didn't actually talk to him, but. Okay, wow. Um, I know, what an idiot. Me, I mean. I know. <laughs> I, mean, well, I mean, thank you for sharing this, first of all. Oh, coming no problem. here and having the courage to actually talk about this. I mean, it must take <laughs> a lot as well to relive it, right? Um, through this lens of reflecting. Mm. Um, what do you think now, looking back, like, at this moment, right? Like, do you have, are you looked back with anger, with resentment, or have you like no because anger is so toxic to productivity like the more time you spend mad and wanting revenge that will actually that's like a criminal mind like when you're tr thinking about how you want to harm someone that is that's criminal like i was putting myself in a mindset where like people would be like oh let's go mess this guy up and i'd be like yeah you know and then but then i wouldn't be able to prove that i wasn't that person to the courts yeah Right. So like, why would I like, where would that put me? That would actually put me into prison for something that I was, you know, actively engaged in and wanting to actively engage in it. Yeah. Right. But if you just can forgive, it doesn't mean like it was easy. It doesn't mean I talked to him. It doesn't mean we're friends. But like once I understood why people do the things that they do and why crime happens, it doesn't excuse it. But like I once I learned like what was going on in his life and how like psycho people can behave when they're under a lot of stress, they just like hurt people around them. Yeah. And so I kind of developed a lot of empathy for that, but I also, it made me stronger and smarter and like sober. <laughs> so yeah, the benefits far outweigh the costs. Definitely. I mean, how's that process been? Like, do you think there's a shock of like the trauma of what you went through right here? Or was it like a conscious effort on your part to like, you know what, sobriety is the way to go. Like, what's been the guiding stone there? It was a number of factors. It was not just the trauma. It was, like, my health and my relationship with my family. And the fact that I was, like, not lying to myself, but I was exaggerating how much Sorry. more successful I was at work with my substance abuse. Okay. Like, I would be out on, like, Bay Street downtown, like, you know, Cactus Club, like, at all these parties okay. all the time. And I would get those deals with, like, these clients and restaurants and stuff. But it... I paid a high price for it. And then I learned from sobriety that I didn't actually have to go to all these parties and stay up late and do key bumps in the bathroom with CEOs to get deals. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it doesn't mean it wasn't fun. It doesn't mean I didn't have a good time. Right. Because sometimes Absolutely. you do, but. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because like uh, we talked to, I talked to a few people about this, like the downtown lifestyle, especially finance district about, you know, this party, party, party lifestyle to get business done. Mm -hmm. um, you get so caught up in it. You don't actually, you get like, 
you miss out on a lot of different things, mm-hmm. right? You don't see warning factors, you don't see trigger lights on people um, that you normally would. It was like a regular kind of like sales process almost, mm-hmm. right? So you're running the agency at that time, mm-hmm. right? And was it more to like, did it fuel your party lifestyle or is the party lifestyle leading to the agency? Like, which was the one? Like sometimes people set up these businesses or work in an environment like this to, you know, to, to enjoy what they like doing, mm-hmm. right? So were you working in this environment to for the parties to, uh, to, to fuel all that? Or was it like the parties led to business that you can now capitalize on this? Um, I definitely incorporated it into my work. Into your work? For sure. But even growing up in high school, I always liked being out. Yeah. And I knew that I was a people person, right? So I was like, oh, I don't want to go to bed at 10 o'clock. So maybe I'll just go out and stay out till 3, right? And then like you go out and get these things and whatever. And yeah. Yeah, because I like... Once you recognize your skills, you want to like hone in on the skills and like amplify them. Yeah. Right. So I was like, okay, I know I suck at making spreadsheets on Excel and I know I suck at like, you know, doing menial tasks on the computer. Yeah. But I can hire people for that. So definitely. But you're good at getting, getting contracts, getting, getting work, getting deals done. Mm-hmm. Um, when you first realized that? Um, when I worked for BlackBerry in like 2010, I got a contract job with BlackBerry and I basically ran this whole event on the Guelph campus and like recruited all these people and like told them to come and ran a really good successful event. And I got like the BlackBerry storm too, which was like a huge deal. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. And then I just did a bunch of marketing jobs. I was like, okay, that's cool. And then you figured out you're going to do this yourself. You started your own advertising firm. Um, I worked for other marketing companies and I saw kind of like what it was like working in the field mm-hmm. and how I could just sort of talk to anyone mm-hmm. and make anyone's day a little bit better just by being nice and not being stuck up and talking to people like about maybe about themselves instead of about yourself. I think mm-hmm. that's what marketing really is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So do you find yourself, do you see yourself as a marketer or a salesperson? How, like your, your story, um, when I first we talked was like, Prison didn't have snacks, mm-hmm. so you wanted to create snacks. Yeah. Is that how Quonset Kernels came to be? They had snacks, but just, like, nothing that was really healthy. Okay. And, like, there was chips and, and stuff, but people popped popcorn, and then we were kind of all putting our own recipes on it, like our own versions. Like, we would get different spices yep. and kind of put them on. And one of them that I tried was called lemon pepper dill, and I was like, to my fellow inmate, I was like, this is like super good. Yeah. It's also like pretty healthy. It's like something if you're having a stressful day, you're not going to binge eat because I'm like, uh, prison is just like a cesspool of like, not just mental health problems, but like, you know, eating disorders and stuff. And there's not, there's very limited access to help for that. So I was like, maybe if I can, can create a healthier snack for the other inmates, I can also create a healthier snack for people that are outside person too because like popcorn is so good and it can be healthy but sometimes we like to like put so much stuff on it that it's not anymore mm-hmm. and so that's what i was like and then i'm gonna employ people that have been to prison too <laughs> even if it's for like a week even if it's for a month even if they just want like to learn a couple skills see if it could be a year right it's okay. not yeah no that's really amazing yeah. so um you're in prison and you, you're like you're you're struggling to get some good snacks Mm-hmm. Uh, you and fellow inmates started making some popcorn, mm-hmm. came with a recipe, and you really liked it. And you're like, hey, maybe we can turn this into something yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Where did, when did that start to turn into something, turn into an actual product? Like, When I began to think about popcorn outside of prison, because mm-hmm. obviously you can't run a business inside prison, like yeah. a legal one. You can't, you can't, 
there's tons of like subculture businesses that I'll t- <laughs> can tell you all about another time. <laughs> but um, yeah, I started thinking about the current popcorn companies and what was out there. And then yeah. I got friends to send me in market research. Mm-hmm. And so when you send information into a prison, you have to be very careful because you can't send anything that has like an internet link on it. So I would have them like reformat it in Word to make it look like a letter. Okay. Um, like in, I don't know, courier new font or something. And then it would have stats on market research and like what the different companies were. Oh, wow. And like certain food trends and like what different age groups were buying and why. So then after we did like kind of like a SWOT analysis. You were doing market research from prison. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Using your connections outside, your friends, uh, assuming in in, in like that you've had from your ages before. Mm -hmm. before. And I would uh, read like, I would call my mom or some other friends and be like, okay, Google like, best business book street or like I knew what books I always want to read when I was outside prison, but I just didn't have the time or like I didn't prioritize it. So but now I had all the time in the world. Yeah. So how was that like? How was prison life like? What did that look like? Um, there is a lot of order, obviously. Like you have to stand in your room twice a day, like to be counted. You're counted in total, I think, six times a day. Okay. Um, counted to make sure you're all present, present for? Yeah. Presented for, yeah. Yeah. Um, when you go in, you get like they're called standard issue clothes, and so you get sweatpants and a yeah. t-shirt and some shoes. You actually get your own clothes a little bit later on, but not for a while because mm-hmm. your your family has to send them in. And depending on what your offense was, it depends on what programming you have to do. Like you have to do correctional programming. So mine was like because the level of substances I was using at the time during my offense was pretty high okay i would say um i had like a moderate level program but i wasn't like in for murder or like a violent event so i wasn't or like a, a other one so yeah um a lot of people are actually in the moderate level program and that was 90 days and then there's also like religious programs there's crafts you can do there's like a little gym mm-hmm. but i just read so much i read the whole time and like wrote letters and i built a Rolodex of like people that were interested in criminal justice reform, whether mm-hmm. that's from like articles in the paper or stuff that I read in different publications, things like that. And then I started writing that letters to people. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to like visualize that kind of life, right? Like yeah. the days become so rigid and so controlled. Um, how do you go out and like do something like a startup, like go out and do all this stuff. Like you get designated time to yourself where you're left that you can do all this like you have computer access how does mm-hmm. it look like yeah yeah there is computer access but no internet access okay which is why it's it was cool because i kept like a journal online i also kept kept handwritten notes because mm-hmm. you actually remember things better when you yeah. write them down i started a prison blog from prison so i would write articles about certain subjects and then i would mail them out to my friends and then they'd scan them and upload them to the internet Jeez. yeah okay so it's it's funny because sometimes in a in like the world we're living in, we think we need to have the best of everything at all times to create our best work. And that's also like because of marketing, like, you know, you need this new phone or this new camera and oh, to reach this group, you have to do this. And I found that I was the most creative when I had way less. Mm. Like I had no phone, I had no internet, I had some books and I had like people to talk to and pens and paper. And that's when I really got creative and was forced to do things differently not relying on like what i had to buy to get there yeah no was prison like a uh, was it like a intense environment was it like a collaborative environment like uh, how's that yeah there's definitely intense moments there's definitely fights there's definitely violence 
Um, but you won't get involved in violence if you don't break the three cardinal rules. And those are you don't rat, you don't steal, and you don't steal someone else's girlfriend. So as long as you don't do those three things, and if you have debts, you well, you just pretty much can't have any debts in prison or else you will get beat up. Yeah. So if you just don't engage in any of like the drug subculture, you're fine. It's, I went in with a completely open mind and I didn't go in with any like entitlement. Like I went in being like, hey guys, I've never been here before. And so I was actually pretty hilarious to some of the other inmates because they're like, oh my God, girl, you don't belong here. Like, what are you doing here? You know, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I don't know. You know, <laughs> so I, I ended up like starting a prison meme club. Okay. And I'd like cut out newspaper clippings and attach like prison scenarios to them. And like it, I spread it around compound. Yeah. So everyone loved it. <laughs> so, yeah. It was called Memeium Security. Okay, amazing. <laughs> I mean, it seems like you brought a lot of this like energy for, uh, into the prison life, mm -hmm. and like you created a collaborative environment around yourself. Yeah. Um, I mean, did you found support there? Like, you found people that like. How did it change you? Like the people there. Like the people there, it changed me because it changed my perception of prison. Okay. It changed my perception of crime and why people do the things that they do and what people are capable of. Like, crime is collaboration. The yeah. most sophisticated like drug smuggling networks are that's people working together. Sure, there's rivalries, but there's been studies that show that when organizations actually work together, they're more successful with what they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, like, I guess like you, you come out of this environment like going from a university environment to like you know, the downtown high life, like you're in full of uh, creative, intelligent people that can that talk like you that. You know, have similar backgrounds to you. I got thrust into the prison environment where mm -hmm. people are, I would assume, mostly very different kind of upbringings, very different type of uh, uh, ways to connect with. Mm -hmm. How was that culture shock like? Um, it actually made me feel a little bit guilty for having the support that I did. Okay. I know I shouldn't feel like that, but you can, sometimes you can't help it when you go in and you're like, oh, I'm in prison, and then you realize, oh, yes, this person is also in prison who's been in, like, an abusive relationship for years, has their kids taken away, and, like, was living on welfare when they committed their crime. Yeah. That's when you're like, oh, like, wow, like, I really, I should be really grateful for what I have. And that's what was also a motivating factor for me, was that I had the resources, but I had to have, like, I guess the empathy to understand and the forgiveness to forgive myself mm -hmm. and the ability to, like, work on apologizing to my family and like you can't apologize forever but my substance use and my alcohol use like i'd come home drunk a lot like i had gone to like family events like wasted like my grandma started crying crying one time like got pretty out of hand and like i'd get in fights when i was trying like not fist fights with my with my family like i would never get fist fights with my family but i've definitely been in fist fights when i was drunk yeah and so i was like pretty reckless like I got kicked out of residence at school for something I did when I was drunk and got a DUI and just, it sounds like a lot but was, this is over the course of like 10 to 15 years so yeah yeah um was it like a spiral at all or do you feel like you're going down this path and you couldn't get off of it or it was just like day by day like you're like changing into that person I really did think that I could stop but then when I was forced well supposedly forced to stop on bail when they're like, you can't drink and you can't do drugs. I didn't stop. And like, I tried to, and I, I would go to like group therapy, like mandated by the, my conditions. So like you have to go to alcohol groups. And I would end up like hanging out with people that night, yeah. <laughs> like after the group, I'd be like, this is, this doesn't, it isn't working. Yeah. Yeah. But once I was able to actually get out of 
this society and go into like the prison society, I was like so committed to sobriety. And I knew like, I knew I didn't have a physical dependency. I had like environmental dependency. Yeah. So as long as I got out of that environment and those associates and those people and hung out with people that actually wanted to see me succeed and not just do drugs with them, that's when I knew I could, I could change. And you found that in prison. Yeah. (laughs) You'd be surprised, but like a lot of um, people, especially that get caught it, with importing, we're all very much alike. Okay. Like we all have like really supportive families. Like we didn't have criminal records because like, why would you try to make a girl smuggle drugs who's a criminal record? Yeah. Like that's gonna be gonna look dicey. Like I had extensive travel experience. So that's why I was also targeted by this guy. And I was pretty like open-minded, you know, I was, that's when Tinder was right. I was like, yeah, sure. Open relationships, whatever. It's great. It's having a heyday. Yeah. You know, and then you lose track of like who's good and who's not, and you know line, lines get blurred. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a very intense story, and like, uh, how just have you found other people who went through some similar situations like yours, who have been coerced in situations like this? In, in prison, prison, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, or do you mean like yeah. that haven't been to prison? Either or, like, in a prison or outside of prison, people come and approach you about this. Yeah, I've actually connected with so many other people around the world that have kind of built things from within prison. Okay, okay. Yeah, and just because sometimes we think that like tough on crime works. Like we're all about like rah, 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 tough on crime, punish, 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 until it's someone that we know, mm-hmm. until it's someone we're, we're related to. And then like, okay, like we'll just like let it slide. And that's because the forgiveness factor is like we can re- easily forgive people that we know, but when we don't know them, it's so much harder to forgive. That's why you don't want to just forgive a random stranger who committed a crime because mm. you don't know them. And that's yep. right. So it's like, we have to kind of, if we're going to have a policy on crime, we have to understand why a policy on crime that works. We have to understand why people do the things that they do. No, absolutely. Yeah. And like, this is one of the things that like, I think you touched on it, right? The, like prison reform, mm-hmm. right? Like how we, like Canada's pretty good with that, with rehabilitation and getting people back and giving the support they need. Um, to get them back into like regular society. Um, Canada is? Is it? Well, I think my story would be very different if I didn't have my family, okay. right? And you think of like how hard it is to even get an apartment now with a job, right? Think of how hard it would be to get an apartment without a job with a criminal record. Because like sometimes when you leave prison, you have an, you get an hour of internet access and then you're, you're out, right? Okay. So kind of why I'm ta- talking about my story is not just to shed light on the drug trade, but also like how unfair it is to a lot of people that okay. go through the same situation. Could you elaborate on that? Like, Well, if you're like, say if you're a drug mule, for example, and like this, I'll talk about a fellow in mind of mine. She was like a prostitute basically. And she couldn't afford her, her rent kept going up. She's in Toronto. She couldn't afford to pay her rent. And then they were evicting her unless she paid it. And then, so someone told her that she could bring these drugs into the country and then she got caught. And so now, not only does she not have a place to live, she's also, like, separated from her son. She mm-hmm. has no family. Because, like, my family, if I, like, I got arrested and my family had to bail me out of jail, yeah. right? If I didn't have that, and they had to put up $50,000 of their yeah. assets, too. So, like, she didn't have any of that. But she did the exact same thing as me. Yeah. So, it's just, like... How was how her story different? Like, what was that? What was that look, how did it look like for her? Well, if you, once you're arrested, if you don't have someone to bail you out, then you're sitting in remand, like waiting for the court process. So I got to live in society 
while the court stuff was happening, but like people that don't have access to to those like funds or people to help them out, they sit in there. Yeah. For two and a half years up to. Yeah. Before they even get processed. Yeah. And because they they don't have the bail or someone else to support them to to that structure. Yeah. And do you find that that's like the majority of the story in prison or is it like a minority? Like what's that? It's a lot. Um, At least like 80% of people in prison are mothers. Uh, 70% have addiction issues for sure. And it's like 85, it's 80 or 85 have suffered some sort of abuse in the past, like sexual or physical abuse. Yeah. 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 I mean, this is such a tough sub- subject because, mm-hmm. like, you know, everyone talks about how do we help, how do we change, but like you mentioned, right, like, uh, Canada pride, like, I think there's a lot more pride in the Canadian system, especially when compared to the U.S., mm-hmm. but th- there's still a lot of roadblocks to work through. Yeah. Like, what would you think is, like, an issue, like, that needs to, be re- needs to be touched on? I think it's very hard to, and another reason people commit crimes is poverty, so mm-hmm. why are you going to put them in a, an environment where they're making $5 a day? Mm-hmm. Like if they can leave with like literally no money and they have, but it's so expensive to call anyone that you love, right? Like prison phone calls from prison can cost you like $200 a month. So if you're making $5 a day in prison, right? And then prison takes room and board. So they take 30% for room and board. Yeah. So you're renting yourself. Sorry. Can you, can you repeat that all over again? You rent your prison cell. You pay like 30% of your $5 a day. Wait, okay. So <laughs> Yeah, people don't know this stuff, man. No, okay. So <laughs> let, let's break that down a little bit. Let's yeah. just let's do a whole curve out there. So you're in prison, you're alloc- allocated five dollars a day mm-hmm. uh, that accumulates into an account. It's like five dollars and like eighty cents a day, depending on like your job tier. It's like five dollars and eighty five cents. You can go up to six dollars and twenty cents a so day. So job tier, excuse me. What what do you mean by job tier? Um there's different jobs in prison that you can get. You can get or you have to do? No, you don't have to. You can be on, like, prison welfare. Not doing <laughs> Wait, what? What? This sounds like a whole new, like, whole society that... Yeah. Okay, wow. Um, <laughs> so how did that... Okay, let's tear that apart, right? So you get, you're getting $5.80 a day. Mm-hmm. That comes from the government or from a job. Yeah, that comes from well the government, like because you're working for corrections. Basically, you're working for the corrections department. And what are these jobs? What are they, what are they entitled? Librarian. You can pick up garbage. You within can... the, the prison. Yeah. Okay. There's some jobs that um, if you live in the minimum unit, you can go out in, into the community. But if you're m- making 15 bucks an hour there, they can still take 30. percent So some people leave prison with honestly like 400 dollars or le- or less, like 200 dollars. The prison only has to let you out with. $80. As long That's as they release you with $80, sometimes they can just release you with 80 bucks, which is actually your money that you saved. Yeah. It's not them giving you money. And like a bus ticket. Some people don't have people picking them up. They have nowhere to go. And then society is like, oh, well, we don't want to hire you because you just came from prison. So then they're going to either go on social assistance, which is also paid for by society, or go back to prison, which is also paid for by society. So by us not taking a leading role and actually hiring people, we're hurting our economy and also... Like, we're not diversifying our workforce. Like, people think people in prison are stupid and they're addicted to drugs and, like, they steal. And, like, that's just – that's what you see on TV. Right. Right? But people in there are very, very smart. Right, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, I I understand that, right? But I'm trying to understand the system, Mm -hmm. right, where it's, like, you're creating its own society – 
within a society. Well, it's created by Corrections Canada, yeah. right? And uh, they give you job. You can they, they pretty much make jobs available for you that you get to what apply for and get. Yeah. And if you do, you get a higher bump up in their salary. Whereas, how much is like the welfare if you don't if you've not two fifty a day? Two fifty a day. And all this goes of what no account that accumulates it to you. Yeah, you're your in. Name? Yeah, it's like a. It's like a trust account. Oh my gosh! And I have a whole other story about the trust account. Okay. Can I tell it? Yeah, yeah, please. Okay. I want to understand more. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think everyone's just waiting so, around watching for this. <laughs> yeah. So the, when I got to prison, I was like, okay, um, I got sentenced on January 18th, whatever, and I was still closing off some accounts because I okay. came in, so I like had to shut down my business, and it was mm. just, it was pretty messy trying to shut it down when you're going to prison because like. My business partner ended up picking up the phone because it was when I was calling him. It was like the government of Canada. So he's like, I'm not picking up a government of Canada phone call, but he didn't know it was me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't like, I had to try to shut this business down through like my mom, through my business partner. Yeah. And in the midst of all this, I was like, okay, I asked like the staff, I was like, so, so can I just have like money sent into the prison? Like, I was like, I'm not going to get it put in my bank account. Like I'm going to like any remaining bills like that of my client, my social media clients, maybe the, can they just send it here? And they're like, oh. Sure, you can put money in your account. So I'm, I guess I'm at one point I'm just getting way too much money put in my trust account. I'm getting like 400 bucks every two weeks. People are, my visitors are dropping me off like cash and checks, and okay. <laughs> collecting <laughs> in this prison account. And then they had to like, they um, they had to have a meeting with me because there's like a bunch. I guess there's other drugs they were getting in the prison. They thought like for some reason I was like you know conspiring or like planning or like involved in this like drug operation in prison <laughs> it was great it's hilarious and then they actually so these guards sometimes guards like to play detective and be like oh but they really have like no power and so like they actually took it to like upper management that i was like having too much money sent to the prison <laughs> i was being investigated and then like the warden was like this is dumb <laughs> so that was the end of that but like yeah. come on like i told you and they're like okay what's your website for your for your business and i was like go to it right now like, check it out and they're like oh nice like, yeah. sorry so this was this business or the previous one this was my social media business so social i was still business. like tying up the loose ends so you're allowed to get money from that business still that's still running yeah i had my friends bring it in like it wasn't into i didn't have a business bank account but i had it converted into cash and sent in okay and you can get the, <laughs> you can get a is there a limit to how much you can get in there um i had about 400 being sent in yeah every two weeks was that the maximum you're allowed to or I think it's 500. 500 is what you're allowed to do. And what can you spend this on? Like, what can you do? You can spend it on um, your phone card. Mm. So I didn't, I spent some time on the phone, but not a lot. Um, you can spend it on stamps. Like there's like a little mini store, like there's canteens. So there's like candy and stuff and pop ice cream. Um, there's like cra some craft supplies you can buy. Okay. And then you can buy books and like CDs. Woo. Oh, CDs God. for $30. What? Actually? <laughs> yeah. Jeez, uh, the, okay. <laughs> it's out of control. TVs are like $200 for like a little thing this big. Because you're allowed TV in your room, but like it can only be this big. Okay. Yeah. And you can you had to buy that TV yourself. Or you had to have it, have it shipped in. Because like, you had 30 days. By the time you arrived to prison, you had 30 days to have your like belongings shipped in. And this was like clothes and I don't know, like what else was there? Like you'd have like blank journals sent in there's a whole list of what but you weren't allowed anything with a hood you weren't allowed anything with like you know a scarface logo or yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> something like that Jeez, but, okay and like the fact that i'm assuming you were one of the few people who are actually getting regular uh contributions like this mm -hmm. right coming in 
Uh, did that affect you at all inside the system? Like, did anybody get jealous of this? Like, how was that like? Um, no, because if you have money coming in, unless you tell people about it, unless you flaunt it, no, like, I'm not going to walk in with a fur coat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Left the Gucci watch at home, guys. Like, sorry, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, and that's all, all goes back to, like, entitlement and privilege and, you know, just don't be a jerk. Like, who do that, right? Like, that's, yeah. that's just asking for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like, how are the other people who are like, who obviously were not getting contributions like this out from the outside system? Mm-hmm. Like, how 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 they adjust to the system where like they're making like five dollars, six dollars a day, and they're capped at this, and they have to spend money within the system. How did that work? Well, then it's really hard when you leave, right? Because you're leaving with not very much money. Like, if you want to talk to your family on the phone, you're going to spend like all your money on your phone card. So yeah. it's like you have to make a lot of tough choices. For sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So how did that operate when, like for like a bit, someone who was a business owner or what are all your assets and like liabilities, mm-hmm. who takes care of all that? Like any bills that you had to maintain? Like- my mom was my power of attorney. So my mom looked after some of the stuff that I had to deal with at the bank and I had enough money in my savings to pay for my car payments. And then also when I had money coming in, I could also transfer that out. It took a while, but Okay. I could have it sent in from my like accounts receivables. Like I had one, I had two people basically meeting other people outside, giving them the money that was owed. And then you would bring it in and they were like approved visitors. Jeez. Yeah. And it's a very sophisticated system. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. And, uh, like, so you're paying for a car during the time you're in prison. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Still got it. And it wasn't <laughs> taken away from me because I wasn't part of an investigation. Nice. People are like, Oh my God, how so you got a Benz? Like, and this is like 2010, it's 2010 Benz. I'm like, Oh, so like, uh, they're like, oh, they didn't take this, eh? And I was like, no, because it wasn't a proceed of crime. Like, I was never... Yeah, yeah. If I... Like, the cops knew I was just, like, some idiot who went on a trip with... You know, like, no, seriously, like, so dumb, right? Yeah, yeah. They're like, okay, clearly. Okay, and... Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I always wonder, like, what about other people? Like, if they get... If you're taking in, and like you said, they have no support system, mm-hmm. and, you know, you have, like, an asset, like a car, or a payment you're making... Or you still have to take care of your furniture, mm-hmm. your like laptops. Like, what that, what happens to the people like that? Like, who don't have anybody who can be power of attorney? Um, do you know? Like, no one really actually told me about that. Yeah. Like, cause maybe because they had so little. Like, and it's not like I would bring it up with other people. Like, this is conversations I'd be having with my mom. I wouldn't be talking with other inmates really about. What you know, my MacBook yeah. <laughs> and stuff, right? And yeah. how to, we would talk about business and running a business, but I wouldn't like... Talk about assets or what you have back home, right? Yeah. Like most okay. of them really just wanted to see their kids again, honestly, because a lot of them were moms, right? Yeah. I was like, a lot of women in there were involved in illegal businesses for sure, but they, you know, you didn't need a computer to run those, so... <laughs> Definitely. I mean, okay, so let's get back to uh, <laughs> corn and cons and kernels. Cons and kernels. And a con is not just someone's been to prison. It can actually like a bad, be a bad thing in your life, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of two meanings. Mm-hmm. So what does this um, do as a business? Like you guys, you say you give back a lot in your, yeah. uh, to, the, uh, to the community, right? What yeah. does that look like? What it's a social enterprise. Mean? What does it look like? Yeah, like what does it look like giving back to the community? Like oh, what do you guys do, right? Um, we do a lot of awareness events. Okay. Yeah, so we do public speaking in schools, even from elementary schools to, like, I do talks at, like, Laurier, other universities. Um, We participate in 
campaigns where we'll give out free popcorn and talk about the drug trade and because some people will get involved because of like I said poverty and some people will get involved because of greed and, and ignorance right and they want to live like that high roller life when really they don't know everything all the odds are actually stacked against them yeah 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 I mean saying what you've said like the fact that you were meant to be the distraction from the get beginning mm-hmm. and you've been taken in that environment where you're choosing to be a fall person mm-hmm. right I mean that's that's pretty intense and um the fact you mentioned it happens a lot. Like you met other people that are going through this kind of scenario. Like, mm. can you put a number to this? Like, how how big is of a of an industry is this? Like, um, there was three hundred and fifty arrests at Pearson last year. Three hundred and fifty. Yeah. Arrests for this exact same thing, or just for bringing drugs on, on the plane, whether mm-hmm. it's in your bag, on your person, hidden in the bathroom on the plane. Oh my God, there's so many ways it happens. Okay, and what is it like? I guess, well, what's the number that uh, of the people who are doing it because they're forced to? We, 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 do we know? Is there any, uh, any kind of record keeping? I mean, you can't sense? really prove a lot of it. Yeah. So, but from what I heard and from what I, I can kind of tell when people are, are being honest with yeah. me and some people are just in like really vulnerable situations. Yeah. And like abusive relationships. So definitely, I'd say about like out of the total inmate population, which was about 220 at Grand Valley Institution in Kitchener, 30% were there for muling drugs. Mm. So of that, I would say about like 60%. Say that they were yeah, forced into it. Yeah. And this is a women's only prison? Oh, uh, well, it's a whole nother issue okay. now. But like, so last year, there's a bill that passed that said men that identify as women can come into the prison. Okay. Even if they weren't like a born man. So it's kind yeah. of like a test. It's raising a lot of issues because they're, like I said before, the majority of women in prison, 85, 80 to 85, have been like sexually assaulted. Yeah. So when there's like men around, it's like, but even though they identify as women, they're clearly doing things that are, you know, there's rapes happening now and there's like morning yeah. after pills having to be dispersed. And yeah, still got connections to the inside. So I hear all about. And it's, you know, because you don't, you want to be inclusive, right? But you also are trying to be rehabilitated and you can't be rehabilitated when you're like surrounded by trauma. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it must be tough. Um, what other work do you do? Do you still uh, you do a lot of work uh, with the prison populations or with actual prison or Corrections Canada? Um, well, I'm on parole. So my rules with other, like interacting with other people in, in the system are pretty limited. Like, um, in terms of hiring, like I can hire people that are from prison, which I have, but I actually can't hire people that are still on parole. Mm -hmm. And so when I was asked to go, someone asked me to go back into the prison to teach an entrepreneurship class. Cause I think if you can teach the importance of like changing your mindset, you can build anything in prison. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you really can. Okay. I could, cause I built it with like under hundred dollars. Like I didn't, I had money sent in for my business, but I didn't spend any money in prison. Mm-hmm. Right. I just read and like from the reading built a plan and bought stamps for like 80 cents and wrote letters. Mm-hmm. So there's like ways that you can build really compelling businesses with fantastic stories and with really like powerful outreach and for, that has a lot of potential to actually change things that that matter no absolutely i mean just talking about the mail right there just reminded me there's a, a company called uh, i think Flipkart, mm-hmm. um uh, made by an entrepreneur named marcus who in the states also was went up into uh, was in uh, 
the jail system, the mm-hmm. penitentiary system. And um, basically what, uh, what what he did was uh, his mom literally had to downsize her living arrangements in order to afford to send mail to him because there was, there was a system in place where you had to pay separately for the mail system there in, the, in the, his prison complex uh, or with that system he was in. And prisoners around were uh, prisoners and families are spending a fortune on mail. So after he got out, he created a, a platform where it's a literally you're going to go on and you write out an email mm-hmm. and you send it in and they automatically turn it into a, a physical mail that still complies to the to the legal standard mm-hmm. of how the mail uh, how things get transferred back and forth in prison so it's it, not electronic but it makes it easier and cheaper mm-hmm. to send messages back and forth yeah right so even i think uh, i'm not sure if it's vice versa where they scan the mail and make it into an email so it gets delivered faster too yeah but uh, they do have that kind of market space and like He's gotten a lot of attention for it on LinkedIn and all that thing. So there's a lot of these companies now, weird enough, like coming and solving problems within the prison environment. And mm-hmm. some of them come out and are coming out of prison. So mm-hmm. um, I think there's a great movement going on here, like entrepreneurs fixing institutions that they are, you know, been uh, been afflicted by, mm-hmm. right? Uh, whether it be in like you know, academic institutions or the school institu- uh, school as an institution or in the prison reform. I mean. Um, healthcare, any of these where, where these giant government bureaucracies are involved mm-hmm. that move very slowly, right? I think there's a lot of opportunity for entrepreneurs such as yourself to come in and be like, you know, this what this small slice could be better by doing this, mm-hmm. and let's let's make that happen, right? Let's change those, make those wheels of motion change, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and kudos to you for doing your part and sharing your story mm-hmm. and getting people to know what's out there and uh, giving them some giving them knowledge to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you a lot for coming on the show and Thanks sharing the experience. Me. This has been a very, very, very interesting one for sure. <laughs> Thanks. It will take a while for us to digest. Yeah. But uh, do you have any like any other words to leave us with? Like uh, anything else you want to share? Well, snuggle, don't smuggle, guys. <laughs> My word of advice. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Perfect. And uh, we'll end it with that. Cool. Thank you, Emily. It's been awesome. <laughs>